Hello, welcome to Your Movie, My Movie with Dan and Steve. I'm Dan. And I'm Steve. Uh, this is a podcast where one of us picks a movie to watch and we discuss it. In this episode, we're talking about one of my picks, the 1971 movie Big Jake, directed by George Sherman and written by Harry Julian Fink and R.M. Fink. We will be talking about spoilers, so if you want to watch the movie first, now's the time to do so. But before we talk about the movie, Dan, who would you recommend this movie for? Hmm. This movie, I don't know. Uh, there's, a, I guess, a few groups of people. Definitely mm, boomer men. <laughs> Also, people who are interested in film history. Mm -hmm. And yeah, if you like Westerns, mm -hmm. it, it's not like, um, yeah, I'm not going to like crap talk it or shit talk it or whatever. I don't know if it, I forget how much we cuss on this, but I don't remember. Anyways, you can cuss. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's basically, I don't, I don't know how to do it. Yeah. That's, I mean, if anyone wants to watch it, go ahead. But it's like, it's, it's a, it's a, you know, it's not a long Western. It's, mm -hmm. it's, you know, below two hours. So if you mm -hmm. want to watch a Western, if you like Westerns, mm -hmm. then, you know, it's a, it's a good movie. It's okay. A good Western. Okay. I would recommend this for anybody who loves movies about generational conflict. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. That's, yeah, that's a good one. Because, um, yeah, I, I chose this to be kind of a Thanksgiving movie. <laughs> yes, yes. And when you told me that, I was confused because I hadn't seen this movie since I was like 10. Mm -hmm. This is probably the first, first PG-13 movie I ever saw. Oh, okay. It was this and The Mummy Returns. Oh. I hadn't seen the first Mummy. We had <laughs> so, The Mummy Returns on VHS. How lost, how lost were you on that one? Not very lost. There was okay. guns and Mummy resurrecting and fighting. It's, Okay. It's not the most complex movie to to get lost in. That's fair. That's fair. Uh yeah, I am a sucker. Uh I'm I am an absolute sucker for movies about family conflict and mm. generational conflict. You know, especially between men and their fathers, <laughs> based on my own upbringing, shall we say. So, you know, if it's got that dynamic, I'm in. I I'm, you know, you've already got me. I'm in. And there's a lot of that in there this movie. Plenty of that. <laughs> you might say that's the whole movie. Well, well, it's funny because so yeah, Big Jake is a western. It's a John Wayne vehicle because mm -hmm. for the most part, John Wayne only does vehicles. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's fair. Yeah. And and yeah, so so the plot of the movie is it's 1909. Mm -hmm. So it's the it's the uh, dusk. Of the Wild West. Mm -hmm. Turn of the century. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, you know, not everybody uses horses anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, it's velocipedes and motorcycles. You mm-hmm. know, the way of the horse is, you know, going bye-bye. And, and so, but, you know, there's, it's still there. You know, it hasn't completely transitioned yet. Mm-hmm. And so what happens is um, there's a large ranch, the McCandles Ranch, mm-hmm. with plenty of money. And then it gets raided by this band of outlaws who tries to kidnap little Jake McCandles. Mm-hmm. Uh, they kidnap little Jake McCandles and hold him for ransom. And the leader of the McCandles family is Martha McCandles, played by Maureen O'Hara. She's told by the outlaws that they have to bring one, bring them $1 million in, in $20 bills. And, and so it's funny because they get that strong box, but <laughs> it's, it's so funny to me when they do that. And, and it's like, oh yeah, give me this huge amount of money in small denominations because there's this other thriller called the way of the gun. Mm-hmm. And, um, it was, and, um, in that, you know, they did research on like, you know, how, how much would, you know, a million dollars in $20 bills, how big would that be? And so they actually do that, you know, and that's it. And they yeah. have these huge duffel bags <laughs> <laughs> and it's carried in this big truck and they're just hauling them out. <laughs> oh and it's gosh. like, yeah, yeah. Cause usually, oh, it's just a briefcase or, you know, whatever. And it's like, no, it's a massive amount of money. So that's what I always think about. And, yeah. Yeah. So. Um, and so, yeah, so she has to deliver a um, million dollars by a certain date. And then there's this uh, officer from the U.S. Army who says, oh, yeah, well, well, you know, we'll escort it there safely. We're the Army. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then, and then you have, you know, the Texas Ranger. And he says, you know what? I only need 10 of my men and we'll do it. We're the Rangers. Yes. <laughs> and then... <laughs> Steven died during this part. Cackled. Yes, yes. Um, and then, and then she, Maureen O'Hara, she's like, no, this is a harsh and unpleasant business requiring a harsh and unpleasant man. And then cut to John Wayne close up. <laughs> Staring down the rifle sight. Yeah. yeah. At, we don't know yet. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, you know, he gets the message. Um, he goes back. And, you know, basically he organizes the party to rescue his uh, his grandson uh, because uh, so uh, Big Jake, he has three adult age sons. The main ones are uh, James and Michael. And there's also Jeff. So Jeff is played by Bobby Benton, who I believe was like a, a crooner or he was a singer. Oh, yeah. 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 He's in it for five minutes. <laughs> Get shot up. And then and then his other um, son is James McCandles, and that's played by Patrick Wayne. Uh, his you know John Wayne's John Wayne's son. son. Yeah. Um, and he has you know, he had a bit of a career uh, in movies too. He was mm-hmm. in this other western um, called Young Guns, which I believe came out in like nineteen eighty eight. And huh. it has Emilio Estevez, Charlie Sheen. I haven't heard of this one, so I can't help you out. Yeah, it's about Billy the Kid. Emilio Estevez plays Billy the Kid. Okay. And and Patrick Wayne plays Pat Garrett. So, yeah. He's also um, in The Searchers, I believe. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's been in other movies. Yeah. Yeah. And then the other son, Big Big Jake's other son, um, is Michael McCandles, played by Christopher Mitchum, who is Robert Mitchum's son. But there's more because little Jake 
mm-hmm. is played by Ethan Wayne, who is also John Wayne's son. <laughs> oh wow! But he had, but you know, he, he you know he was born later mm-hmm. in John Wayne's life. So in this movie, he plays his grandson. <laughs> that's crazy. So it's like his son. Wow, that's crazy. <laughs> that is wild. Yeah. So like, there's. You know, generational stuff all over this movie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so anyway, yeah. And, you know, that's the plot. And, you know, as the plot goes forward, you know, you have, um, you know, the these young men, you know, wanting to do things their way. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you have um, John Wayne, you know, gruff, grumpy, <laughs> ordinary, yeah. stubborn. You know, he's done it all. You, you know, so you got to listen to him, guys. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <Max. laughs> if you want to get out of this alive, you know, listen to that old man. Because you're too young and stupid to do it right. <laughs> yeah. Such massive boomer. Massive boomer energy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, made made by boomers for boomers, basically. Yeah, well, I, probably not boomers made this. Well, but, well, yeah, John Ring, yeah, he would be the greatest generation. So, yeah. mm-hmm. but definitely the, the similar energy for sure, for sure. But um, I looked it up real quick, and apparently this was made in 1971 or released, yeah. and this is basically kind of like a Wild Bunch knockoff, if you think about it. I, I haven't seen all of the Wild Bunch. I haven't seen it all either. But I'm... well, well, it's funny that you mentioned that because the writers, Harry Fink, he wrote. Let me see, he wrote Major Dundee, okay, which is a movie with Charlton Heston that was directed by Sam Peckinpah, who directed the Wild Bunch. Huh. Yeah. So interesting. So yeah, they share a lot of similarities, and also that there's also that end of the Wild West thing. That's, yeah, that's what I was saying. That's why because it's the Wild Bunch is also like you know motor cars introduced mm-hmm. and like you know this threat of mm-hmm. you know the death of the West by technology and right. modern civilization. Yeah, but the, but the, you know I've only seen a little bit of the Wild Bunch, but for sure that movie is way more like you know the Wild West. You know those days are over. Whereas in this movie, <laughs> yeah. well, you know, they need to stay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nah, your civilized ways are tomfoolery. Yeah, 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 yeah. Old ways are better. Old ways are always more reliable, especially when you're old and you can't change. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 So, yeah, that's, that's the plot, basically. The plot, yeah. So... John Wayne is Big Jake and mm. Big Jake and his two sons and his his old native friend Sam. Yeah, who who? It's, it's funny because in this movie, here I have the actor. He's uh, he was in King Kong, I believe. Yeah, yeah. Bruce Cabot is the actor's name. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, and he played in King Kong, but he also starred in John Wayne in the movie Hatari. And it was funny because in that movie. His character's name is the Indian. <laughs> I don't even. He doesn't even look. Yeah, I know. <laughs> he doesn't look particularly native to me. But <laughs> yeah, I you know I looked him up on Wikipedia and it's like, well, he is from the Southwest. He's was like born and raised in like Arizona, New Mexico. But I don't know if that counts. As, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Maybe I don't know enough to say for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, you know, back then, <laughs> yeah. I didn't give a shit. Yeah. So yeah. So okay. So so you know, let's kind of start at the beginning of this movie because this movie has a very interesting beginning. The the beginning is what I remember as a kid mm-hmm. watching this 
for sure. That's mm-hmm. like pretty much the only thing I remember. Yeah. Yeah, it's basically a montage of images from from the turn of the century with a narrator, you know, setting the stage basically yeah, for what we're about to watch. Very strange voice, like very much like back in the 1909, there was a thing, like, you know, very like 1970s uh, announcer voice. I just thought mm-hmm. it was, the sound of it was funny. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, so the turn of the century, is, it was basically a compare and contrast to mm-hmm. the East Coast of the United States versus the West Coast mm-hmm. at around 1909. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, kind of the things, yeah, yeah, I got right here, East versus West. And, you know, some of the things they talk about is, you know, comfort versus struggles. Uh, financing versus ranching, ballerinas versus dancing girls, and make-believe versus reality. <laughs> you know, those, those are kind of what they hit on. Mm. Because, of, like, one of the last things they say is, you know, they talk about the great train robbery as a movie mm. um, that, you know, stunt audiences in the East, whereas in the West, that's mm. reality for them. <laughs> they don't need the movies. Yeah. And and so, yeah, that that's basically what it was, you know, the, the, the comforts. In civilization of the East Coast versus the harsh reality and violence of the um, of the Wild West that's slowly becoming less wild. Mm-hmm. So, and um, and then it transitions to the bad guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and we still have the announcer guy, um, mm-hmm. you know, introducing each one of the bad guys. Yeah, yeah. there's like twelve of them almost. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, giving a short history about who they are as they're they're riding. Um, and oh man, it's so great. It's so good. One thing I thought was interesting was a lot of these bad guys were like, like you had like the quote unquote half breed who was like half of um, like native and half like Irish or something yeah. like that. Cause he's, his mom was a sex worker mm-hmm. and well, well that was a different guy. Cause there was another guy whose oh, okay. mother was a prostitute. And so this man, like, I guess, tried to marry her or something. Yeah. And so he killed him when he was 14. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So these are, these guys are tough hombres. Yeah. But also they're born lower socioeconomical, like lower class, basically, because of like, you know, the society's like ruling class or whatever yeah for sure yeah they don't have the right breeding or you know they didn't have the right inheritance basically yeah and that's something Mm -hmm. i thought was interesting about the bad guys Mm -hmm. yeah well you know to talk about real quick about the bad guys so like one of the bad guys is played by glenn corbett i'm not sure which one okay but he played zephyr cochran in star trek the original series Hmm. and zephyr cochran is the character who invents warp drive after okay. World War Three, and he's played in in First Contact in the movie. Okay, so Glenn Glenn yeah, Corbett, yeah, Glenn Corbett played Zephyr Cochran in um, Star Trek: The Original Series. Um, he was played by James Cromwell in Star Trek: First Contact, which is a Star Trek: The Next Generation movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought that was really neat. Yeah, and uh, and and John Goodfellow, played by the actor Greg Palmer. He played uh, John Goodfellow, and he was in uh, the movie Magnificent Obsession, directed by Douglas Sirk. Interesting. Yeah, he's in a Douglas Sirk movie. (laughs) Now, I haven't watched Magnificent Obsession yet. I have it. Um, But I would love to see what kind of character he plays in that. (laughs) Interesting, interesting, interesting. 
so yeah, so like and so the main bad guy, yeah, um, I think his last name was Finn, although he had a brother. He's played by yeah, the main bad guy, Finn, he's played by Richard Boone. Mm-hmm. And he was in the Western TV show Have Gun Will Travel, where he played a character named Paladin. Oh, interesting. Yeah, it, it was kind of like a Western version, uh, a Western one-man version of the A-Team, <laughs> ah. where if you have a problem, you, you, you know, he had a card, you know, um, Have Gun Will Travel, and he would hand those out. Mm-hmm. And so people along the West, you know, if they ever had a problem, they'd get in touch with him, and he'd come in and, and help them. And so, yeah, so that's, it's very interesting because he played like a very hero, hero character mm-hmm. in that TV show. And here he is playing a villain. Yeah. Although, you know, opposite, you know, John Wayne, <laughs> John yeah. Wayne doesn't play villain. <laughs> so, no, he does not. But he, Richard Boone carries, you know, you, you Richard know, he, Boone does really good in this. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. There's definitely some, you know, performance going on. Yeah. <laughs> it, well, especially when they're, they're, when they're together, you know, yeah. in the middle and, and at the end. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. The movie focuses on them, and that's all the movie needs to do. <laughs> yeah. So, but let's talk about the. Um, so after we get the well, intro, well, oh, well, well, real ahead. quick, more about Richard Boone's character is they say that first he was a soldier, yes. Then he was a lawman, then he was a bounty hunter, mm-hmm. and then he was an outlaw. Yeah. In his character, you see him steadily going from like an honorable profession mm-hmm. to an honorable profession. Mm-hmm. But nonetheless, a violent profession. Yes. But then he still used violence to make money. Mm-hmm. But that's all of his skills. Yeah. So you know, you know, it's kind of always been the case, you know, with soldiers because when a soldier knows, when all all a soldier knows is soldiering. When he's done being a soldier, what can you expect him to do afterwards? Yeah. And that's why you know in the military, people will do a stint, and then you in the military and then they'll get recruited by private security companies, Mm -hmm. private military contractors. Sometimes they can get involved in some shady stuff. (laughs) You know, basically they they can become mercenaries, Mm -hmm. which is basically, you know what this gang is. Yeah. And it's also interesting because you said, you mentioned that, you know, they're of a low socioeconomic class. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, uh, soldiering, you know, that's a perfect way to rise up Mm -hmm. based on your merits. So, so yeah, it is interesting. And yeah, you're just, I think that's the interesting point is, you know, once you start with violence, you know, earlier in your life and, you know, it doesn't necessarily go away. Yeah. And I mean, it can, but like, it's just, I don't know. It's like, it's what you're taught and what you do and what you, what you're good at and what you're supposed to do. Just, you know, yeah. Change all together. I don't know. Yeah. You know, if you know how to, you know, put together a gun you know, strip a gun and, you know, put it back together again and, you know, march all day, you know, how is that going to help you, you know, be a manager at McDonald's? <laughs> but I mean, they, yeah, at the same time, I know some, some veterans who like are actually really good at like, you know, starting their own businesses and mm-hmm. things like that. Um, so I don't know if it applies to like everything, but right, right. It doesn't apply to everybody, but yeah. that is an issue. Yeah, you know? for sure. And I mean, yeah, you there's always that, you know, it's like you almost become accustomed to the idea of a brutal lifestyle or violence, Mm -hmm. you know, um, and just that saturation kind of, what is it kind of like dulls your senses towards it. Mm -hmm. And so you're more prone. Um, I mean, I mean, this is probably like 
extremely stereotyping and yeah, whatever. Yeah. But like, at least in the media as well, like Travis Bickle and just like, there's a mm-hmm. lot of characters that are like this who are, yeah. you know, predisposed more than the average person. Yeah. And, and to be fair, most of the U.S. military, you know, they're not, you know, combatants, you know, yeah. they're logistics. Absolutely. Yeah. And those people <laughs> yeah. do have the skills or at least have better, you know, job training to go into the private sector. It's, you know, the people who, you know, the, you know, basically the infantrymen, mm-hmm. you know, who, you know, all they get taught is how to, you know, march and, you know, handle their military equipment and go to war. So it, I uh, lurk at the uh, military, you know, subreddits. And, you know, that's kind of the thing they talk about. Uh, somebody's son, you know, wants to do that. And it's like, well, you know, you know, what do you do? And, you know, like a lot of um, advice is you tell them to, you know, do that for a few years, but don't do just that. Try to go to a different job in the military so that you get that job training and job skills so that you can better transition out, transition out. Yeah. Yeah. So really this movie is a warning about being in the military. <laughs> That's what we're saying. No, but Yeah. <laughs> it's about, you know, leading a violent lifestyle, I think. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And you know, that's what the well, that's what the myth of the Wild West was, too. Yeah. You know, you had to be violent in in order to tame it. Mm-hmm. Um and so yeah, and so so they're writing and we get that intro. Mhm. And then, you know, compare it to like, so we, we have the intro, it's showing the camera showing all these brutal men. Yeah. And then we cut to the ranch. Yeah. And it's this opulent mansion. It's basically like, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's almost like, imagine that it's kind of like a Southern plantation. Yeah. But, but in the desert, instead of like crops, there's like cows and horses. Yeah. And yeah. you know, that's the sense you get. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, just overwhelming opulence. There's like a billion people who work for this one mm-hmm. lady. Well, no, because w- what's going on is there's not many ranch hands on the ranch mm. um, because they're all taking the cows. They're, they're selling them at market. So they're shorthanded and mm. the outlaws know this. And that's why they choose now to come in because, mm-hmm. you know, when they, you know, first approach the ranch, Maureen O'Hara, she sees them approach and she's like you know maybe you could hire them for short work mm-hmm. and and then richard boone he 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 mentions oh yeah you know the ranch looks really sparse when you know nobody's there because of the cows have gone to market because they take them and so like that's how they know that this is a good time to attack mm-hmm. because they, they won't meet much resistance so yeah 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 but i mean like there are there are many ranch hands and like servants and yeah and you know I guess slaves or I don't know. I guess no, no. no this sorry. is nineteen oh nine. Yeah, sorry about that. Mm-hmm. But like you know, there are people working for them, and there's a lot of people working yeah. for them. Even if most of them have gone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and yeah, we get this intro. It's like the sort of idyllic, idyllic house um, mm-hmm. in the Wild West, at least. Yeah, and you have like a family and a young boy and playing the piano and yeah, piano. yeah, little Jake little playing Karajakra. Yeah, <laughs> dressed in his his little you know blue schoolboy you know um, you know sh- dress shirt and you know little coat and you know those you know blue little shorts. <laughs> yeah, with a big bow tie. <laughs> well, it's not a bow tie; it's just a bow. It's just a bow. <laughs> yeah. Yes. 
because he's being raised by his grandmother and not his grandfather. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep. This movie's interesting, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I, I don't know. There, well, there's, there's like, um, you know, a black like maid and a black mm -hmm. cook. And there's also like a white cook, and yeah. there's some I believe people from Mexico. Yeah, because also... because the McCandles Ranch is like right on the border to Mexico. Because you know at the beginning, Marina O'Hara she's talking to someone about how they they've been getting hit with cattle rustlers because they're so close to the Mexican border. And what cattle rustlers will do is um, they'll cross from Mexico into the United States, steal the cattle. And run back to Mexico to flee the jurisdiction. Right. And so he's like, and so the guy's like, well, 15 years ago when you, when, you know, Big Jake was here, he'd run after them and kill them all. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of talk in this movie about what John Wayne would, would have, you, you know, how he would have killed people 15 years ago. <laughs> yes. Plenty of it. Plenty of it. Yeah. So, yeah, the ranch is functioning, you know, bustling mm -hmm. about. And then, you know, the bad guys show up and they're like, yeah. you know, we heard you had some extra work. And he's like, no, you're a little late. He's like, a little late? Too late? And he's like, too late. He's like, we'll see about that, basically. And pulls out yeah. his gun. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, they basically kill, kill most of the people there. They slaughter, like, everybody. That's mm -hmm. the scene I was talking about that I remember is the, oh. the slaughter scene. That's what I remember as a kid. Just yeah. like. Because there's a dude with machete and he like catch it and like, you know, chops a girl to death. And mm -hmm. there's like the, the movie, the really thing about this movie is I remember is because I was used to watching. So I grew up on John Wayne movies. Like my mm -hmm. dad loves him. My grandpa loves him. And, you know, my mom likes him some too. But this movie I, w I didn't watch until I was a little older. And I think it is because there's like, I don't know, there's extra like blood in this. You know, I don't know. There's, there's, well, well, most of the blood is at the ending. Oh, in shoot. the beginning too, the slaughter. I think I forgot. I might have to put this in trigger warning. There's a dog in this movie. <laughs> That's all you have to don't say. Laugh. <laughs> don't laugh. Don't laugh. Because I gotta put this. There's a dog in this movie, and the dog does die. So, trigger warning. There's a dog in this movie, and the dog does die. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, there's also yeah yeah. Um, and well, yeah. But all you have to say in a western is there's a dog. You know what's gonna happen. Well, you never know, but you still gotta warn people. You know, you still gotta sure. warn people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's there. Most of the blood is like at the ending, like with the climax. I don't know. I think there's a lot in the beginning too. Well, there's a lot of shooting and there's a lot of violence, but it's that thing where they just you know act like they get hit and then fall right down. No, there's some like squibs. There's some like oh, that's what so? I remember. There is for Bobby Benton. <laughs> there's for Bobby Benton. There's for the, oh, yeah, the black Mo cook. Yeah, and you know like because I remember mm. watching older westerns like earlier ones and i didn't remember there's okay. more much more like oh I, i'm hurt yeah, that i didn't yeah. see blood splatter yeah yeah where they where they get shot and they put their hand over the bullet hole yes, so you don't see yes exactly but this one was like oh wow this is like blood blood and yeah. the thing is too oh i want to talk about also mm -hmm. the cinematography of this one interesting but like the, the the blood is like the most candy red <laughs> like literally red paint it's crazy yeah but I will talk about these these intro scenes whenever it's showing the ranch beautifully, like like 
um serene power serene and peaceful the ranches it's mm-hmm. like it's gorgeous looking like the dynamic range is like insane you can tell they're like using like big lights like hmis mm-hmm. to light people's faces as well it's just like so much light they're dumping <laughs> in this part or throughout the movie throughout the movie mm-hmm. entire movie yeah there's the one you know skipping like all the way back to the end it was funny because um so it's at night and they're like around this like i don't know other ranch or something in mexico and so it's been it looks like it's filmed on on a it could have been location but it might have been on a set i'm not sure but like everything so far has been lit by like you know probably you know high powered lights from like very far away mm-hmm. so you know just to bring the levels up so you can see it right mm-hmm. it's been that way through the entire night of the set and then there's a thing where they bring out the boy and then uh that john goodfellow he brings out the lantern and so as he reads yeah. out the lantern, uh, it, it's dark, so he can't see. And then as he swings the lantern around, you know, they it's dim, like, dim the lights back up to normal. Yeah. <laughs> it's so hilarious. It's so funny. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, come on, guys. <laughs> but there are some really beautiful shots. There's a in lot the of beautiful shots. Especially, mm-hmm. like, yeah. whenever they have to artificially light it, it definitely makes it look a lot uglier. Mm-hmm. But with the daytime shots, there's some gorgeous stuff. Absolutely. I just wanted to say that about the the serene beginning. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah. So right. Anything... Actually, could I talk about something else too? Absolutely. Okay. This whole idea reminded me of In Cold Blood a little bit. Okay. Like I had to read it in a class, but like it's sort of like the American Dream, and then the Outliers. Yeah. Who, who come in and just shatter it and just murder everybody. <laughs> Well, it's very another interesting aspect of this movie. If we can like flash forward a bit about the plot, so they carry this strong box full of a million dollars in bills, but nobody ever sees the money in it until yeah. at the until the third act twist, where you find that where the strong box gets broken, mm-hmm. and they see that's full of newspaper clippings, mm-hmm. and then John Wayne's two adult sons they confront him about it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he both let them punch him in the face. And then he punches them back and knocks them out yeah. <laughs> and splashes cold water on them to get them back up. And so then he explains. He's like, well, you Which know. Which is so annoying, bro. It's, uh, this movie's so ridiculous. What's so, so ridiculous about that? Just, damn? like, communicate, man. <laughs> just tell them. But they're, but they're, you know, sons and fathers. They're men. We don't need to talk. We just need to, you know, beat uh, the shit out of each other. It's so annoying. <laughs> He's just like, yeah, it's newspapers. What are you gonna do about it? <laughs> well, I feel, I feel like John Wayne. You know, just let them go. Ahead, let those two go ahead and have their shot. You know, just to relieve the tension. Yeah, because know? he already beat the shit out of them earlier in the movie <laughs> for no reason. Well, yeah, but you know, he kept on getting their goat and getting their goat, and now it's all this, and it's like, well, yeah, know. but he still didn't let him down. He still beat the shit out of him again, knocked him out. Well, yeah, but at least, you know, they had a shot and he gave it to him. You know what I mean? I mean, he gave them that much, you gotta admit. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, sure, fine, whatever. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Yeah. Well, okay, so, and then and then he explains, they, they, they think that he stole the money, Yeah. Um, but that's not what happened. What happened was he discussed it with, with Maureen O'Hara, and they both came to the decision where, um, you know, these outlaws... They murdered seven men at the McCandles men. They wounded their third son, Jeff, you know, played by Bobby Benton. 
who may be dying or could be dead already, mm-hmm. kidnap his grandson, and they're not going to pay them for that. Mm-hmm. Which is very interesting because it's like, you know, the U.S. does not negotiate with terrorists. Yeah. And yeah. this movie was in 1971, mm-hmm. which is like, you know, the onset of, you, you know, that was the transition from the hippie age to the activist age in, mm-hmm. in the 1970s, mm-hmm. where politics were getting, you know, more radicalized because of civil rights for minorities and for women mm-hmm. and the growing dissatisfaction with the Vietnam War mm-hmm. and, you know, all that stuff. So, like, this movie is also conservative in that way where <laughs> yeah. yeah, we're not going to negotiate with terrorists. We're just going to go in there and kill them all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. If you want your money, earn it like I did by killing legally. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It's true, though. It's crazy, though. Literally, they could have, like, it would have made so much more sense to have the million dollars in the box and just kill them after you give them the money. Yeah, yeah. Like, just just give them the money, track them down afterwards, and ambush them. But, literally. But, but then it wouldn't have the political overtones. And, you know, in any John Wayne movie, he's going to stick his fingers in and, and manipulate it. And, you know, it's like John Wayne, you know, he, he knew movies. Mm-hmm. He saw the political happenings of movies. Um, because he saw High Noon and he, you know, as he saw it, he, he realized that it was about McCarthyism and, you know, the Hollywood blacklist because of the communists. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he got pissed off about it. And I think in, in response to that movie, I believe it was El Dorado that he made because like, oh, this Quaker woman, you know, helping the sheriff, you know, fuck that, (laughs) you know, what a coward, you know? And so then he made El Dorado as a response to that. So he knew the political undertones of movies for sure, despite, mm-hmm. you know, his <laughs> stubborn and, you know, blunt mannerism. He, you know, no, he knew the score for mm-hmm. sure. So, so I found that interesting on yeah. this watch of it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's another thing I wanted to talk about. Hmm. So do you want, do you want to talk more about the generational conflict? <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> I mean, the the plot's pretty basic, right? Mm. We don't really need to go into it it's yeah, super yeah, detailed. Yeah. Right. Basically, they track them down and kill the bad guys. Yeah, but it's it, it's the journey along the way. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And of, of mending mending those, you know, basically what happened was uh, 15 years ago, something happened between mm-hmm. um, Big Jake and you know Martha, and so he left. You know, mm-hmm. he just so so he went. He left, he left that ranch to be run by his wife, estranged wife, ex-wife. We're not sure. Not sure. But she still has his name. Yeah. Yeah. And the town is named McCandles. Mm. During that train, when he arrives on the train, you know, on the train station, it says McCandles, Texas. Oh. So that also tells you like how much pull that family has. Yeah. Um, and that's why the army and the Texas Rangers were willing to help them out. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so, uh, but he's not there anymore. No. <laughs> Hasn't been there for 15 years. And, you know, has his own place, probably closer to Mexico, so he, it'd be easier to kill people. <laughs> 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 well, that's where we find him. You know, we see him eye-sighting down a rifle, and he sees, like, this Scottish sheep herder, you know, be, about to be hung. Yeah, hung by, um, yeah, yeah, by um, cattle ranchers. 
And, you know, that was a big thing. And so, you know, he, he bought the sheep and intimidated, you know, those guys until letting them go. Mm-hmm. And, then, you know, that's when they, you know, catch up. That's when a messenger from, from Marino O'Hare tells him what happened. And then he goes in and, you know, tries to fix everything mm-hmm. or, or, you know, run, runs the show himself. And so he arrives to, to McCandles, Texas. And we have a reunion with his sons. <laughs> yes, his sons who he hasn't seen in 15 years. Yeah, yeah, all grown. And it's funny because, like, the first one he meets is James, played by his son Patrick. <laughs> and they have the best. They have the best interaction. They do. Yeah, yeah because, oh, my God, they're so fucking mean to each other. But it's like, but I think that's, like, why they casted them because it's, like, you know, they're, they're real father and sons. And Patrick Wayne, you know, did live in the shadow of, you know, his father, John Wayne. So, you know... You know, I'm, you know, there probably wasn't, you know, enmity between them, I'm sure. But it's like, well, you need somebody actually related to you in order to portray that meanness. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> this reminds me of a story. You know, the Eric Andre show? Yeah. Apparently they had like, I think Jimmy Kimmel on or something. Uh-huh. And, you know, they wanted to do a trick where like they would have someone reach from underneath the seat and like tickle like his taint or something. <laughs> okay. <laughs> or like basically just. In touch his butt. Right, right. And uh, the intern at the time was his son. <laughs> so they had his son do it so they wouldn't avoid a lawsuit or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shit like that. This is freaking nuts. Yeah, and it's so funny because he's like, Hello, Daddy. <laughs> he's like, What do you call me, boy? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you mean, Daddy? <laughs> call me daddy one more time and yeah he yeah basically john wayne you know wallops someone and he goes you can call me father you can call me jacob you can call me jake you can call me a dirty son of a bitch <laughs> don't you ever call me daddy again <laughs> and you know what's funny as the movie goes it's, on he's such an asshole <laughs> like you haven't seen this kid in 15 years and wait, wait, wait. I, who's the asshole though <laughs> like I, I think they're both assholes you know what i mean they are but also you haven't seen your kid in 15 years so what if he's you know talking back to you a little bit <laughs> he throws him in a puddle <laughs> he almost hit, hits a goose <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> wait you said hits a goose yeah he hits a goose remember the, you know as he goes into the puddle there's like all those little geese and like uh, he hits one and one flies off <laughs> <laughs> they got to take they cap. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, like it, it's so funny because you know, James McCandles played by Patrick is just like Big Jake, you know. Mm-hmm. And it, it, you know, it's funny because it's like that I think that's one of the reasons why they rub each other the wrong way yeah. is because they're so much alike, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Which is funny because they're a real life father and son. Mm-hmm. And then yeah, like the one the other kid well, well, oh, sorry, well yeah well before we get to that a little later big jake asks you know after fucking with james yeah <laughs> he asks michael you know so tell me about little jake and 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 he's like well little jake is just like you and james <laughs> which is funny because little jake is also related to john wayne and patrick wayne yeah so i thought that was re- you know really funny you know play with that yeah um, and my and john wayne was like what do you mean <laughs> just like me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and so then we have the other son, Michael, 
uh, McCandles, mm-hmm. played by Christopher Mitchum, who is Robert Mitchum's son. Yes. Yeah, and it's it's kind of funny because apparently this is the last movie Christopher Mitchum and John Wayne did together. Because they were doing, I guess they were doing a television interview where they were promoting the show. Mm-hmm. And John Wayne says, espoused like his conservative political views. Mm-hmm. And Christopher Mitchum like disagreed with him on camera. And then John Wayne never wanted to work with him again. Mm. And, you know, when, when John Wayne was dying of cancer, Christopher Mitchum reached out to him. But John Wayne, you know, didn't return. So. <laughs> Goodness gracious. <clears throat> yes. So interesting, interesting trivia there. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and, you know, apparently like, you know, Christopher Mitchum, um, he never made it big, but I guess he was really big in B-movies uh, during the late 80s and the 90s. And, you know, he was kind of big in, you know, some European countries. So, mm-hmm. you know, he got work, you know, which was great for him. But yeah, he plays like the opposite of James. He's his mother's son. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> but he's also like the sort of voice of the future. He's the one that drives a motorcycle and he has a repeating pistol. An early version of the 1911, you know, pistol, which is in like every single movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's, so he's the one with the, who's more excited about the technology. He's a lot more sensitive. He's a lot more polite. Yes. You know, he always calls Big Jake father. Yeah. <laughs> Hello, father. <laughs> He's also the, like the democratic one or whatever. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. And... But but the interesting thing is like, you know, he, he roughs it just as much as James or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. James and Big Jake as, mm-hmm. you know, everyone else, you know, he, you know, he roughs it too. And it was that. <laughs> so. This movie, you know, it's a Western, it's action packed, mm-hmm. it's got a lot of suspense, but it's also funny as hell. <laughs> there are a lot of jokes, yes. <laughs> because, are. you know, when he's showing off the pistol, John Wayne says, can you shoot? And he goes, uh, proficient. And he goes, well, you know, shoot this coin, you know, with your, with your newfangled gun. And he throws the coin up in the air and he doesn't shoot. And he's like, well, what's the matter with you? You want me to shoot with this? Yeah. And so he throws the coin up again and then he shoots <laughs> and it's gas operated. So as long as he has fingers on the trigger, it's going to shoot. So he's shooting wildly. <laughs> yeah. He's just like, <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, Big Jake is like, you guys can come out of, you know, James and James and Sam. Yeah. Sam. Uh, yeah. They went into they the water. Into the water because, <laughs> you know, he's shooting all around. Yeah. And Big Jake's like, okay, you can come out now. And he's like, uh, I wouldn't do that yet. And he's like, well, why not? <laughs> no, he's like, stop talking back to me, you yeah. kid. Yeah. And then, and then, and then, you know, the gun goes off two more times <laughs> and John Wayne has to like run down the mule and get yeah. the money. And then he comes back and he's like, what were you saying, kid? And he was like, there were two more shots. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then, you know, Michael explains, well, I'm not good with a pistol. I'm good with a rifle. Mm-hmm. And that's when he, you know, shows, you know, shoots that deer, which is really cool. And then James gets that, that gun and he's yeah. badass with it. Yeah. He's like, <laughs> bah, bah, bah. he's shooting everybody with that. Thing. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, that's how you use it. You know, you don't use it to like, you know, with a, with an old fashioned revolver trying to shoot a coin, you know, you got to shoot one, you know, recock and then aim it again. And yeah. that's not what a gas powered pistol is for. A gas powered pistol is for you to, you know, shoot at a large target and put as many bullets into it as you need to. Mm-hmm. And man, that dude does it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, he does. Yes, indeed. Yeah, and then you know, Michael shows off shows off his uh, sharpshooter skills 
in the climax as well. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, Michael, yeah, he's definitely his his mother's son because he also takes like a moral tone throughout the movie saying, I I don't kill for no good reason. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, John Wayne inevitably has to tell him, well, we've got good reason, so let's kill him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, so there's a part where, um, so there's a part where, you know, one of the things where it's like, oh, this new fashion stuff is, is not good. Basically, in the very beginning, in the first scene where they're chasing the bad guys, mm-hmm. the Texas Rangers, they take motor cars, yeah. and they're, you know, booking it across the desert in the motor cars, and they get ambushed in the middle of the desert, and mm-hmm. the bad guys shoot them all up. And then John Wayne, you know, slow and steady wins the race with his horse and mule, and the, and the money shows up behind him. And um, anyways, in this kerfuffle, the kid, Little Jake, is like he's managed to like break free a little bit and so he's like running away and and like in in the shot he's like sprinting away it's this little kid and then behind him is is a man on a horse like (laughs) booking it at this little kid and he just yanks him up by the arm and like pulls him onto the horse and i was just watching it like what like this is so cool to look at but Uh like insane that they did this and like i don't know Back before they cared about, you know, safety, <laughs> yeah, yeah, child safety and, you know, proper stunt. <laughs> yes. But like, part of me was like, ah, oh, that's so cool. I wish like, I wish there was, you know, I could still see things like that uh-huh. being made today, but you know, no, you can't. <laughs> no. <laughs> and I mean, they probably could have gotten away with it extra too. Cause it's, you know, John Wayne's son or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. He would have been okay with it. Yeah. Well, I mean, man. You know, that's a question I wonder. Like, maybe they pay, paid some ch- other child actor instead. <laughs> or maybe they shot that scene last. Because <laughs> that's what you gotta do. You gotta, you know, do your stunt scenes last, you know? <laughs> Just in case, guys. Yeah. Yeah. But I thought, I watched that and I was like, oh my gosh, that's crazy. But mm-hmm. there is so much, like, I love watching old westerns because there's so much stunt work. And it's insane. Well, you know, that's also the interesting thing about Westerns is because the Western as a genre was big for such a long time. Yeah. You know, they started doing Westerns, you know, at least in the 1920s. And then like the ending of the Western, basically the 80s, when, you know, the Western got modernized into, you know, basically cowboy cops, Mm -hmm. you know, like, you know, Dirty Harry, you know, Dirty Harry transformed into... Well, well, during the 80s, it transformed into things like uh, Rambo and Arnold Schwarzenegger movies. Yeah. But then in the late 80s, that further transformed into like the police procedurals like 48 Hours, Lethal Weapon. Die Hard. Yeah, Die Hard. So, you know, for that 50, 60 years, Mm -hmm. you know, you had a lot of institutional memory about how to film these movies. And, you know, they were able to, you know, really, you know, crank them out. Cranking up, but also hone their craft. Yeah. You know, hone those, you know, that the, the stunt work required to do a Western. Yeah. So. My mom was watching The Virginian, mm-hmm. which is literally like a show, a TV show, but each episode is like an hour and 15 minutes long. Yeah. And it's a Western each. And I don't know how many times they aired, probably like once a month or I don't know, maybe mm-hmm. once every other week or something. But just, I was just, how do these people do this to just churn out massive amounts of movies it's crazy mm-hmm. it's crazy but they were really good at it at the end you know i mean yeah. they were good at it from the beginning but mm-hmm. yeah 
Well, you know, that's another interesting thing about the Western is because, like, I think what we can compare the Western to today is superhero movies. Yeah. yeah. You know? And, you know, everybody's saying, oh, is there superhero fatigue? You know, <laughs> when mm-hmm. are we going to be done with superhero movies? And I'm like, well, you know, why are we asking that when, you know, we never asked that about the Western, <laughs> you know? Mm. Because that was the biggest genre, you know, before until the 80s. Yeah. You know, and, you know, that also carried a little bit further. But, you know, but nobody asked, you know, where's the Western fatigue? (laughs) I'm so tired of all these Western movies. I mean, I'm sure some people will. Mm. But, you know, well, you know, that's my point is that you can't help like what genre is big. And like, there's also a lot of themes in Westerns that transfer over very well, you know, to superheroes. You know, the one man who comes in and cleans up the town. And, you know, that's Iron Man. That's what needs to be done. Yeah, yeah. Vigilante. Yeah, yeah. You know, might makes right, you know. Yeah, so I I hear a lot of people complaining about, you know, superhero movies. And, you know, really doing, you know, a lot of harsh criticism about their worth. But they don't say that about Westerns. Now, on the other hand. (laughs) I feel like they did say that about Westerns, though. Because, I mean... You, you think so? Yeah, you didn't... I mean, you didn't have... Westerns weren't taken super seriously. You know what I'm saying? They um, were... Well, well, it depends, you know, because, you know, we got into the political undertakings of this one here. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's also High Noon. You know... I mean, like, they're, what I'm saying is the general Western yeah. was pulp. Well, know? the term for it is horse opera. <laughs> horse opera, sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. But it's not... It's not academic or, you know, necessarily, like, deep. Yeah, yeah. Most of them were not, yeah. Yeah, but, yeah. I mean, there was exceptions, of course. Yeah. Well, that's what I was about to get into. Okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> because, like, you know, on the other hand, you know, these superhero movies, they aren't really... What's the word? Trying to be better? <laughs> you, mm. know, you, you know, they don't aspire to anything. Yeah. You know, other than, you know, entertainment. Other than, you know, big box office tickets. Yeah, you know they they don't really say anything deep, really. You know, I think mm-hmm. about the I think the closest one that we get was Black Panther. Well, also I just watched Black Adam, and that one is about like sort of imperialism and like occupation, and about staying out of other countries' businesses, basically. Really, it's it's I I would recommend it for you. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I watch, you know, I, I try to watch as many uh, comic book movies as I can, although, you know, not necessarily when they come out. But I've also heard, like, I know a lot of critics ha- kind of hate Black Adam, but audiences love it. So hmm. I know it's got that split, but yeah, I, I would love to watch it. I enjoyed it more than I thought it would, I, the, the more than I thought I would. Mm-hmm. It's still like, you know, I still don't really like superheroes that much, mm-hmm. superhero movies that much, sorry. Just because I am tired of them and because... A lot of them don't aspire to be more Mm -hmm. just, you know, the Westerns. But, you know, this one has something interesting to say, I would say. Okay. Yeah. I can't wait to stream it. And, yeah, (laughs) I mean, I would even say more than, I don't know. I don't know. Black Panther was weird because I watched it once and I was like, oh, this is cool. I watched it again and I was like, this is weird. (laughs) Like, it's so much like. I don't know. Like, the bad guy doesn't even really seem that bad. They just had to, like, make him a little extra bad so that people wouldn't agree with him. You know what I'm saying? The movie's about the villain. (laughs) Yeah, but, like, also, 
because it's not because you know black panther is the good guy yeah. it feels like propaganda sometimes or like yeah. when i watched it previous recently like how do you mean like like they had to get rid of killmonger because he's military yes, <laughs> yes. Yeah. it was yeah. it's crazy like because killmonger if killmonger was a more like like a little bit more of a rational person and yeah. less hot-headed he would have been the hero. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Yeah. And but they had to make him like go that extra mile and be that extra bit of a dick. Yeah. Just so like Black Panther was justified, you know, and just wiping him out. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> Sorry. So well, yeah, well, that was something I, you know, I really wanted to talk about. And probably will um, when we talk about other westerns, is how similar they are to uh to superhero movies. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah so is there any technical any other technical things you want to talk about some of the lighting was okay not the lighting was awful <laughs> some of the cinematography was good with that exteriors we already talked about that but like the lighting was so bad like yeah. it reminds me i watched mary poppin with sierra a little while ago and it's just like it's crazy how bad the lighting is in these movies like there's just they just pour light in from every direction. <laughs> yeah. I saw one time I counted, I saw like six shadows behind John Wayne. Yeah, well, that's the funny thing because so I, I was watching, uh, I don't know if I mentioned this before on the podcast, but I was watching House of the Dragon mm-hmm. and there's like this infamous scene where it's set during the night. Mm-hmm. So they shot it day for night, mm-hmm. but the color grade was absolutely terrible. Mm-hmm. So it it just looked like it didn't look like night it looked like day but like super dim and and yeah and like i have no idea why you know like the closest i could think of is because of like one of the spoilers for house of dragons first uh, spoilers for the first season of house of dragons just in case um starting now okay so what happens in that episode is a young is um you know, like a tween child named Amond, um, he sneaks out of the castle and uh, to this dragon whose owner has died, and he doesn't have a dragon, and he's being made fun of for it. So he goes out and he basically has the dragon imprint on him, so he can you know fly it himself and now have a dragon. And while that is happening, a prince and a princess you know are out on the beach, and you know they basically get together. So, you know, it's it's not shot at night. It's shot day for night. And I'm like, you know, why? And I think the reason why was because since that was a child actor and there are rules on when you can have child actors on the set, what, what happened was they had to shoot it day for night for the child. It, but because that happened at the same time that the prince and princess was on the beach, they also had to shoot it day for night for them, too, so that it would match. Ah. And it was fucking terrible. <laughs> <laughs> That's rough. Yeah, it's, it's very rough. Yeah. There's, so, I mean, <laughs> they still haven't gotten it right every time. But. Yeah, and, you know, and that's why I was thinking, like, you know, on the, ex, you know, exterior location at night, you know, I was wondering, like, if it was if it shot on location or in a set because like you know like you i was so um one of the things i was told is like yeah you can tell when something's day for night if you can see the shadows <laughs> mm, so yeah. i was looking at the shadows and yeah there were plenty of shadows at their feet so you know i was wondering well you know is this on set or is it on location and then just you know pump the light out <laughs> 
so that's a little trick you know you know you can do now you know whenever you see a movie and it's at night look at their feet and see how many shadows and where they're going <laughs> yes yes and imagine in your head where the i mean it's it's a fun game yeah imagine in your head where the light would have to be for those shadows to be there. Yeah, yeah. We're going to ruin watching movies for you guys. Yeah, yeah, because this ruined it for me when I was watching John Wayne with six shadows behind him and just sweat dripping down his face. Yeah. <laughs> and there are like 10 different color lights on him, too. <laughs> Anyways, sorry. They had to do a cheek, man, so. Yeah. Um, what do you think about the score? Score. Score was fun. Um, was the score the best part of this movie? Almost, maybe at least. Yeah, maybe number two, number three. Yeah, there okay. was there was some definitely. It's it's a catchy score. Like I was humming it. Yeah, the main theme song. Yeah, I was humming it earlier, and you know, it does really help the movie not drag. Yeah, like in some places, there's like a lot of montage, and it's like, you know, oh, oh, that's another thing I want to talk about. Sorry. Mm-hmm. I mean, first of all, the score was great. I liked how so in the beginning they have the kid playing Perujaka or whatever. Yeah. on the piano. And they introduce it into this into the score. Yeah, it becomes a refrain. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I really love that. I love how they use that. Um, I thought that was brilliant. One thing about this movie that I was thinking of, oh man, I just lost it again. Oh, it's slow, um, but it's not really like that slow. But mm-hmm. one thing I wanted to say is it's it's like you know ten minutes less than two hours. Um, and one thing I noticed about it was it felt. Like, the pacing felt good. It didn't mm-hmm. feel like the script was just long enough for the story. Like, you had breathing room. You had things. That it, it didn't feel like every single thing in the script had to pay off every single time. And it did. Yeah. But they hit it well. Yeah. And this is, like, in, na- in movies nowadays, I mean, I'm going to sound like an old, grouchy old boomer. But movies nowadays, they're too tight. Like, everything plays back and, and you know it's going to happen. Because there's, like, there's no breathing room. Mm-hmm. And I think this movie was really well paced in that way. Like I remember watching True Grit, the mm-hmm. new one, the Coen Brothers movie, and I love the Coen Brothers. But like that movie to me recently, it felt like it was too short, and there was no breathing room, and you knew everything that was going to happen because you watched the first act and everything set up in the first act, and it all pays off. But there's like there's very little room for characters for things that are just little things that happen. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I like that about this movie is that, you know, in its sort of episodic nature, yeah. as their journey goes along and chasing these bandits or whatever, these kidnappers, there are moments where you get to be with the characters and just be. There's jokes. Mm-hmm. There's moments of levity and moments of like, you know, who were you? Why did you leave my mom? And why Ever did been you leave the us? <laughs> yeah, that was, that was a hilarious little bit. Mr. Sweet. <laughs> They're in this uh, border town yeah. with the money. And on the Mexican side. On the Mexican side. And yeah. everyone knows that there's a million dollars in that mm-hmm. in that briefcase or that box. And so everyone's got their targets on John Wayne and his boys. And so they're like, well, we're going to basically just shoot them all. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. The, um, yeah John, John Wayne is like, oh, they're going to try to. Um, they're going to try to ambush us, but we're going to set traps for them. Yes. And they do. <laughs> and it works. Yeah. 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 It's hilarious. And basically he walks into a bar and he talks to one of the drunk guys and he's like, who's the nastiest man here? The orneriest. Yeah. Um, and he's like, oh, Mr. Sweet over there. And it's like massive dude. And, um, you know, John Wayne walks over and he's like, oh, could I see that pool cue? 
And he's like, yeah, sure. Hands in the bulk, you just like smacks it over his head. <laughs> and then he just per- like proceeds to get the shit beat out of him by this huge man. Uh, yeah. And then he's like, <laughs> and he gets knocked out until, so he's basically biding his time. Yeah, yeah what's happening is he's providing a distraction mm-hmm. uh, for the people trying to rob them who are not the kidnappers. Um, mm-hmm. I'll explain that in a bit. But yeah, he's providing a distraction. So Sam can sneak into the bedroom. So there's two people instead of the one that they're expecting. Yeah. Yeah. And so, it, well, it's so funny because the big Mr. Sweet, you know, knocks John Wayne down into the guy who told him about Mr. Sweet. Um, and so both of them lose their hats. And so, like, you know, they reach for the hat and John Wayne reaches for the little bowler hat. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the other guy reaches for his cowboy hat. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's a simple joke. And yet effective in that moment <laughs> yes and so then john wayne looks back and he sees the light come on in the room so he knows that now both of his friends you know his son and sam are now set in place for the you know the ambush on the ambushers right so now he's like you know oh wait i think i know you um to so the the big guy beating him up he's like wait don't hit me you ever been to nacogdoches and he's like oh he's like oh I'm sorry. Basically, <laughs> oh, see you later then. <laughs> and it walks away. And then we get to see James, the other son, use that repeating that repeating pistol. Yeah, yeah. Because like this, these two you know thugs walk up to him in the bar, and he's talking to like the sex workers there or whatever, and the ladies and dancing girls, the dancing girls. Sorry. Mm-hmm. And he's like, "That's my lady." And he's like, "Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm sorry." And he turns to the other one. <laughs> he's like, "That's my lady." He's like, oh, okay, I'm sorry, and he turns away, and they're like, hmm. Yeah, they're trying to start something. Yeah. They're trying to get an excuse to shoot him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he's not, you know, giving it to him. Yeah, and they're like, you're a coward. Say you're a coward. And he's like, I'm a all coward. Right, I'm a coward. And then, and then the time's up, and he's like, all right, and then he shoots them both, and he, like, empties, like, five rounds into each of them. I was like, holy cow. Yeah, that, yeah that's a great scene. That's a great scene for him. <laughs> so... And yeah, like I want to talk about um, how the plot is structured because like it's it's great because, you know, in a movie nowadays, you know, it'd probably be like, you know, action pack, you know, nonstop action. But what you get here is you get the setup for the McCandles raid mm-hmm. and then you have that action scene, you know, and it's a set piece. John Wayne comes and, you know, he gets ready to you know take the money, but then they have a chance to head the kidnappers off at the pass. So they take that chance, and so they try to do that, and then, you know, it's another action set piece, and, you know, they fail. And then John Wayne and Sam, they take James and Michael with them, Mm -hmm. and so they go on, and then they find out that they're being followed, not by the kidnappers, but by somebody who's heard that they're carrying a million dollars with them. Mm -hmm. So they know that these aren't kidnappers, these are, you know, robbers, so they're going to try to rob them as soon as they get to the next town. So they get to the next town, and then we have that next set piece Mm -hmm. in the bar, and then in that hotel room. That resolves, and then it's time for them to go to the climax, and then we have another action set piece, which is the climax. So that's four four particular places where there's like a lot of action, but there's plenty of build-up to each of those set pieces, Mm -hmm. which is what makes this movie great in in the pacing. That's why the pacing's so great. in between, we also, like you said, we learn about the characters and their interactions and their motivations and what they are and who they are about. And that's what makes this a great movie. And it's not prescriptive either. Mm-hmm. It's not like, you know, it's not like, uh, I don't know how to describe it, but it's, it's just, we just learn details mm-hmm. and, and it's not like bashed over your head or like, you know, 
I don't know how to describe it. It's just, it's a pet peeve nowadays that I can't watch a lot of movies anymore because it's like, the scripts are just annoying mm -hmm. because I, they're so predictable in mm -hmm. a way. And yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I know what you mean. Mm -hmm. I mean, this sounds very like, an, it sounds very stuck up when I say it as well. Well, we'll go in, can you go into more detail about like what is predictable compared to what uh, Big Jake did? Let me think. Let me think. Let me think. Let's think of a movie that's a good comparison. I don't know. Give me another Western, another movie, or another movie. Just another more recent movie. Um, mm -hmm. Like action movie-ish. I don't know what action movies you've seen, man. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that you don't like. I don't know. I'm sorry if I put you on the spot. No, you're good. I'm just like, this is something I could write like a, like a school paper about, but okay. it's, I don't know. I mean, like, even like Baby Driver, I love that movie. Okay. But it's very predictable in a lot of ways. Nah, that's not a good example. That's a great movie, too. <laughs> well, it, it, cause, because that movie doesn't, it does subvert expectations in some ways, mm -hmm. but it's still it's a predictable movie. Yeah, yeah. You know, the good guy is going to come out in the end for sure. Yeah. But it's like, well, with Baby Driver, the difference with Baby Driver is like there's one main character. Mm -hmm. And while he has an ensemble around him, he's still an outsider to them. Mm -hmm. In Big Jake, there's one main character, John Wayne. Mm -hmm. You're pretty sure John Wayne's going to survive. You don't know if his... If Michael or James or Sam mm -hmm. or the dog <laughs> yeah. survives and, you know, Sam and the dog don't. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, there's that unpredictability to it as well. Like, you know, who actually comes out in the end for sure. I mm -hmm. just think it's um like, let's see, what movie have we watched so far? Well, for mine, we've watched Heavy Metal, Ringu, Random Hearts. There's not a lot of... Uh, <laughs> we watched two films too good for this, and you don't watch the genre movies. <laughs> let's, let's go with, like, I don't know, like Fury Road or something, because, I mean, okay. it's a great movie, but, again, like, you know that... I don't know, like, everything they set up, I, I just don't know. It's like, there's not... It's like, the movies are too movie-y. Okay. I mean, I'm I'm blabbering and it's not good because okay. I can't You're fine. I can't You're fine. tell I can't articulate what I mean very well and, it, and it's really annoying. Mm -hmm. I'm just trying to think of a of a thing have you to seen, compare it to. Have you seen The Dark Knight? Yes. Okay. <laughs> so my problem with The Dark Knight. Okay. Mm -hmm. This is going to get complicated. <laughs> <laughs> okay, because I love The Dark Knight. Before, you know, Logan and, you know, Black Panther came out, I was like, you know, this sets the bar. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, this will be the greatest superhero movie of all time. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, Logan and Black Panther both gave that a run for their money. Mm -hmm. um, but let, so let's talk about the plot in the middle. Okay. So the Joker. So the Joker demands to have Batman. Well, we can just talk about any Christopher Nolan. <laughs> well, well, let's talk about this. Because I have a spiel for this. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. So the Joker uh, wants Batman. Yeah. And so Harvey Dent um, says that he's Batman. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so then they transport Harvey Dent. Okay. Mm -hmm. The Joker hears about this, knows that this happens. Mm -hmm. And so then he sets up the ambush to get Harvey Dent. But Batman and Jim Gordon know that the Joker will try to ambush them. Mm -hmm. So they do their counter ambush and then 
capture the Joker. Mm-hmm. However, the Joker knows <laughs> that Batman and Jim Gordon will capture him. <laughs> and so then he set, sets up uh, his minions to kidnap Rachel Dawes and Harvey Dent. So during the um, interrogation scene, you know, there's that interrogation scene. So Batman and Jim Gordon and the rest of the police can run to those locations and basically leave the police station empty of cops. Uh, and he knew that so well that he implanted a phone and a bomb into the stomach of one of his underlings so that he could call it and set it off and then, you know, escape from there. So how did the Joker know that all that was going to happen? <laughs> Is that what you're talking about? No. Okay. I mean, kind of, but... <laughs> you, you know what I mean with that? <laughs> yeah. It's just like, I'm trying to think of a movie that I've watched. Okay. I mean, there's just a lot of movies that mm-hmm. are mainstream nowadays are just, their, their scripts are so tight that yeah. every, every single word has to do something. Right. And... And not just do something just for the heck of it, right? But for the greater story, which I don't agree with. Mm-hmm. I think that's what I'm trying to say. Right. It's written. It's written to push the plot forward, not to better develop characters or set the mood in the atmosphere. Even that, sometimes, I'm a, I'm, I'm upset with because, mm-hmm. like, like even I, even with like everything informing character, it gets it gets annoying sometimes it's just like i want I, I just want there to be moments where characters can just be mm-hmm. and i mean that will inform the character of course yeah. but like we don't need to set up more information right we need to just let them behave mm-hmm. in a space okay like that's what i think is i i think i'm trying to say and you think big jake does that Big, Big Jake does that a little bit, and like it's just an example of older movies. I think did that a little better mm. because nowadays, like uh, like let's talk about any Inception or you know The Dark Knight. Like everything, there's no moment except for maybe a few jokes here and there mm-hmm. where it's like that was just you know characters interacting with each other. Mm-hmm. It's like everything had to do something else. Yeah, it's like yeah. I don't. Know. Well, Christopher Nolan is a very Plot heavy, yeah. Ryan, get me started on him. Okay, <laughs> I I love the Prestige. I like Inception. I really like the Dark Knight trilogy, and Tenet is funny. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fine. You got me started. Uh, I'm the protagonist. <laughs> I love Memento. Okay, yeah, I Memento's mean, great, but that's an early, that's, you know... Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I love Memento. I, I admire the following, or following, whatever it's called. Okay. I haven't seen Insomnia. The Prestige, I'm okay with. I like, mm-hmm. yeah, I've watched it a lot of times, so it's, you know, it, it's more, it's time has worn off a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then, I, don't, I forget, I, I'm just going movie by movie. The Dark Knight movies, I like. Mm-hmm. But they've, you know, I don't know. I, th- I don't think they are as smart as they would like to be. <laughs> no, they're not. And, and you know, after watching Heat, um, they're a little less <laughs> original. And then Inception, watching it after like 10 years or whatever, it's like, 
way less interesting and much more of like a Bond movie with an interesting little well, philosophical idea. Well, well, there's very. I mean, I think there's relatively little that's Bond. I mean, it's mostly like the the shootout at the mountain with the skis at the end. Well, <laughs> but Tenet, that's like full Bond. Like, yeah. could, you know, you could. I guess, yeah. I mean, Inception is just an action movie with a little bit of a nice philosophical question. Yeah. Or, yeah. or you know, point behind it. Yeah, there's a very good, you know, mix, for sure, of, like, action, and then, you know, the sci-fi, you know, wondering, oh, well, how would this affect reality kind of thing with it. Yeah. You know, which is what I like. And, you know, I get different things every time I watch Inception, you mm-hmm. know, to be honest with you, because there's that movie, you know, for all of its faults, packs a lot inside it. <laughs> and, you know, he does work all that in. Yeah, um, but Tenant, yeah, that's a full Bond movie. <laughs> Tenant sucks. Tenant, Tenant is ass. I hate it so much. I'll watch it again. <laughs> I hate it so much. I, I saw it to, at the drive through the drive-in. It was like the first unofficial date I ever took Sierra mm-hmm. on, and I oh, it was so bad. <laughs> it made me so mad. I was so sad because you know I. Inception is the movie that like got me into liking movies, uh-huh. and so like I became a Christopher Nolan nerd after that. Okay, and I was totally into like every single movie, and then you know, after a while, you know, I went, I, I watched more movies, and I watched things that he watched that influenced him, and I was like, and then I got to Tenet, and he, he just did what every you know director that makes it big does. He just tries to go bigger and bigger and bigger, mm-hmm. and like loses sight of what. What yeah. movies actually are, which is not set pieces, <laughs> but stories. Yeah, so, yeah, so <sighs> my advice, if you make it big as a director, don't ever try to top yourself. Mm-hmm. Instead, for your next project, try to achieve that same level, but in a different way. <laughs> the same caliber, because we talked about this before. Yeah. It's the same amount of amazing... Yeah. Movie, yeah, but make it a small movie budget, like or, or well, well, that's your suggestion. My, I, I, I'm not even suggest, I'm, I'm suggesting like you know do something like in a different Simpler? area. No, no. Oh, so like if you make a big action, you know, blockbuster, don't make, don't let your m- next movie be an action blockbuster. Mm. Make it a horror. <laughs> mm, interesting. You know, and then after that, well, make it a romance. You know, you know, do a romance as good as what you did before. And I'm saying. Don't make another blockbuster. <laughs> Give yourself a palate cleanser. Make a movie that is a simple movie. Well, the problem with that, though, is the executives, they're going to want your next movie to make as, just as much money as it did before. Mm-hmm. You know, that is the trap with it, doing it that way. Because I agree with what you're saying, but, you know, the executives may not always be for it. That's the problem with going that route. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. Anyways, don't give me. Let's not go well, down the rabbit hole, Christopher Nolan. And, well, you know, for my part, the movie, the Christopher Nolan movie that I dislike the most so far has been Interstellar. Really? That's yes. the one I'm most like. I don't even know if I like it or not. Um, I definitely do not like it because the the moral of that story is don't worry about climate change or any other existential problems to humanity because humanity will figure those out. Because we will ascend to be, um, we will ascend to the fourth dimension, and then we will save ourselves 
um, so that we can save ourselves in order to ascend to the fourth dimension. You know what I mean? It's is like, that, is that the moral? Is that yes. really, is <laughs> yes. that really the moral? Of the yes, movie? yes, absolutely. That's what that that's what that movie means. Yeah, really. Yes. Huh. And so it's like, oh yeah, I don't have to, you know, we don't have to deal with climate change or, you know, any of these other problems because we've already solved it in the future and our future selves will send the, will send the resolution, how to, how to resolve those problems back in time to us so that they can then survive and, you know, you know what I mean? So you think Christopher Nolan thinks that's what's going to happen and he's telling everyone not to worry because... I don't know. But within that story, that's what that story means. I don't know if that's what Christopher Nolan thinks, but that's what that story means. That's what that story thinks. And that's full of shit. <laughs> because it's, it's the same as, oh, we don't have to worry about, you know, any problems here. God will sort it out. But instead of God, it's, you know, humans who have sended to the fourth dimension. Interesting. And I'm like, fuck that, you know. We gotta worry about shit. <laughs> That's interesting. Do you need to watch Interstellar? <laughs> Maybe, because I've only seen it once a long time ago. I've only seen it once in the theater, too. and I gotta, yeah. I like to... I, so, I'm, I judge movies based on how I feel watching them. Uh-huh. Not on, like, how much they make sense to me. I mean, okay. that plays a part in my feelings on the movie. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't decide whether right. the movie is good or not for me. Right. So, I don't know. I, I thought the movie was... You know, I felt enjoyment while watching it. I felt mm. like it had something interesting to say yeah. as far as... I mean, I thought it was more about relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, that's... I don't know. Interesting. No, fuck that movie. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right, let's, let's end this before we start talking about <laughs> some other director that's not at all related to Big Jake. <laughs> Before I sound okay, like there, any more uh, of an old, <laughs> old man who's stuck up. Do I bring t- that out? Do I, do I bring that out in you? I, everyone brings it out. Okay, that's Because I probably am an old, pretentious asshole. But. Um, okay, is there, is there anything else we need to talk about, Big Dick? Um, see, I broke more things down. We could talk more about it. I don't know. I just think, last thing I think. Okay. I'll, this is the last thing I'll bring up. Well, I, well, two things, but we should we should end the episode. Why did you ask? Me? <laughs> Anyways, uh, times change, right? That's what right. the thing was. That's what this movie is about. Yeah, and even said so. And there's there's a scene right before the big shootout at the end, and it's between Big Jake and his old you know native pal Sam, and basically he's like, Sam's like, after this, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go up north to wherever, and you know, Big Jake's like. I hear they have elk as big as buffalo up there. And, you know, Sam was like, I wish they were at buffalo. And um, Big Jake is like, well, time change, times change. And yeah. basically, <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, but this movie is very much against that. Yes. <laughs> which doesn't make any sense. So it's almost like a, no, fuck your buffalo. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's so weird. Wow. Yeah, but if you think about it, those are the times we're living in now where mm-hmm. Gen X, mm-hmm. millennials, and Gen Z are still struggling over, you know, the control that the boomer generation has over this world. So, like, it's yeah, time change, but um, they're not going to change without a fight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just like, I don't, I don't 
I don't know. So I thought that was really interesting because he's, yeah. he's basically saying, yes, times do change. Yeah. But the whole... But they should meaning, change when I'm dead. <laughs> yeah, the meaning of the movie is, it's is bad. times shouldn't change and every, yeah. everyone else is, you know, wimps. Yeah. I didn't understand. It was so strange. It was almost like, oh, we're, we're nodding to the fact that this is about times changing. But we're not self-aware to realize that yeah. we're against times change. I don't know. I guess it is saying it's bad that times change. Mm-hmm. That was pretty much the last thing. Okay. And let's just make it the last thing because this episode's long enough already. Okay, yeah. So this is going to get cut. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'll make it short. Um, so yeah, that's, that's it. Here's, here's who another awkward signing off audience. That was big Jake. And you know, this has been big Jake and (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say that was big Jake. And this is your movie. My movie. Oh, that's a, that's an interesting way to end it. Right. We could keep doing that if we wanted, or we could just say, all right, bye guys. Yeah. This has been big Jake. What'd you say? You say it. All right, this has been Big Jake, and no, no, that was Big Jake, and this has been your movie to my movie. But I, I still like our awkward ending, so we should still say, all right, bye, guys. Bye, guys. Bye, guys. Take care.